Good morning, everyone. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I was enrolled in Taekwondo lessons. And it was it exciting because I was a shrimpy lessons, the Taekwondo lessons for about two years and worked my way up to a purple belt. Thank you very much. And you have to understand that for an insecure 13-year-old boy, this uh, newfound set of abilities in self-defense uh, gave me a growing sense of confidence. And so uh, as I continued to be uh, always afraid of being beat up in school, I began to get a little bit more confident, at least about kids my own size or smaller. And um, I may or may not have uh, done some provoking uh, so that I could have an encounter with other kids and might try out some of my new jabs and roundhouses on them. And of course, karate is self-defense, and it's supposed to be a last resort that you strike someone, by the way. So I was not a good practitioner of karate. I was, I was looking for a fight. Uh, but what I was doing is I was using this, uh, this newfound set of uh, martial arts skills to cover up my own insecurity and my fear and my anxiety and my brokenness as a teenage boy. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how we are all prone to do something like this, covering something up. We put on our tough guy or our tough girl faces. Um, it's a universal human condition, right? I call it the I have it all together disease. Uh, we feel compelled to appear just fine and dandy to everybody else in the world around us. Confident, assertive, proficient, successful, strong. Someone asks us, how's it going? And... We lie and say, it's going great. Thanks. How are you? You remember that Jim Carrey movie from the late 90s called Liar Liar, where he's a really deceptive lawyer and uh, his young son on his birthday uh, makes a wish that his dad can't tell a lie for just one day. And so this very uh, deceptive man uh, goes into work and has to speak whatever he's on his mind. And he's approached by a very dirty man on the streets in tattered clothing who asks him if he has any change. And he says, mm-hmm. And he says, will you spare some? And he goes, mm-hmm. And he says, why not? And he says, because I believe you will buy booze with it. And I just want to get to work one day without being confronted by the decay of Western society. <gasps> and he realizes, oh, I've got to tell the truth. It's funny, but imagine if we had to tell the truth about what was going on in our hearts, in our minds. Somebody asked us, how are you doing? Well, I'm having marriage problems, or my mother is dying, or I'm going deeper and deeper into debt, or my kids are on drugs. What if we had to tell the truth? It's hard to be honest like that because it requires vulnerability in a world that tells us that we need to keep up appearances. But to keep putting on our tough faces, putting on our everything's okay facades is exhausting, friends. It's exhausting and actually it's a hindrance to growth. Because you see, to be made well, you have to first admit that you are sick. To be made well, you have to admit that you are sick. I love our gospel readings today for this very reason. Our reading from um, St. Mark, it is a um, what some Bible scholars call a sandwich passage because as you heard from the length of it, there's a story within a story that happens. And so um, the, the stories uh, give us an image of how we are actually to approach Jesus. And first we meet Jairus, who is a, um, he's a higher up kind of guy. He's a leader of the synagogue. So he's like a senior warden, right? Where's my senior warden? He's like senior warden of the synagogue. So people know him, right? People know his name. He's got a fairly prestigious uh, position over the places of worship. 
But when Jairus sees Jesus, this, this backwoods peasant carpenter, a nobody, he runs to him and he falls at his feet in humility. And he begs him and he pleads with him over and over, Jesus, please come lay your hands on my daughter. She's dying. He has nothing to lose. No shame. Because he's in a situation of desperation. And so he's honest and he's humble before Jesus. Can you imagine? Nothing touches our hearts like our kids being in danger. And so Jairus, in all of his vulnerability, falls before Jesus and pleads with him. Now, you know, Jairus could have been a tough guy. <clears throat> Excuse me, Jesus, um, would you mind accompanying me to my place? I'd like, to give, like you to give me your opinion on a certain situation. You see, but in his moment of great need, of desperation, he doesn't hold anything back. And look how Jesus responds. He's quick to go with him. Why do we hold back when we go to Jesus? Why do we hold back? Why do we feel like we have to act piously and like we have it all together when we go to Jesus? What if we got more honest about our struggles before the Lord? What if we got more honest before the Lord? Jesus, I'm feeling especially weak today, and I don't really feel up to the things that you have set before me to do. I don't feel up to loving the people at work who have been making me angry this week. I don't feel up to having that difficult conversation with a family member that I really need to have. I don't want to do it. I'm feeling tired, but I need you. I need to know you're in this with me. What if we got honest like that? That's Jairus' honesty. You see, the story of Jairus is a reminder that Jesus always goes with those who come to him in honest desperation. Friend, if you come to Jesus in honest desperation, he will accompany you on your way. Now, then we get to the meat of the sandwich passage. As Jesus is on his way to Jairus's home, he's thronged by a great multitude of people and he suddenly feels power go out from him. It's not described in any of the other healing stories. Something profound has happened here. He has expelled some great amount of healing. And Mark gives us a mini biography of the woman who has snuck and touched his cloak. He tells us that she has spent 12 years with this issue of bleeding. 12 years. Now remember in the ancient Jewish world, a bleeding issue like this would mean that she is ritually impure. Perpetually ritually impure so she's a social outcast not only is she sick she's lonely and then mark tells us that she's actually um done been done more harm under her doctor's cares for the last 12 years and has spent up all her money on medical workers who have not solved the problem can anybody relate to that (laughs) amen And she hears about this miracle carpenter, this carpenter who's a miracle worker. And she sneaks through the crowd to get close to him. And she comes up behind Jesus and she touches his garment. And Mark tells us that she believed that she would be healed if she would come into contact with Jesus's clothes. Friends, this is a picture of faith. See, you don't have to be a Bible expert or a theologian, you don't need a PhD in theology to run to Jesus. You just have to be willing to admit that you're in need. That's it. In fact, this picture of this woman coming to Jesus in desperation and faith is a picture of how the gospel works, how the good news of Jesus Christ actually works. You see, we can't receive the salvation that Christ 
offers us without seeing first that we are sinners in desperate need of his healing. That's where it all starts. When we start paying attention to that something inside of us that says something's not right. Something's not right in my life. Something is missing. Something is off. I need peace. I need peace with God. That's when we're in a place of being able to receive the mercy of God. Falling at his feet. Receiving the mercy that he longs to lavish upon us. Eastern Orthodox Christians um, have something called the Jesus Prayer that they recite over and over inwardly throughout the day. And it's derived from the Gospels, a story in the Gospels. And it says this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And they pray it as they breathe in and breathe out. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. What a perfect posture to have when we approach Jesus. Humility. Trust that he's always merciful. Acknowledgement of who we are and of our need for him. So this woman, she gets a hold of Jesus' garment. And here's what Mark says. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Amazing. Twelve years of bumbling doctors. Obviously, Dr. Laudit wasn't around back then to help her out, so... 12 years of, uh, for, sorry for those of you who heard that joke last night at last night's service. 12 years, and she touches Jesus once, and boom, she's healed. And then something she doesn't expect happens, right? She thought this was going to be a covert operation, a one-way transfer of healing power, and she was just going to be on her merry way, but then something she doesn't expect happens. Jesus notices, and he stops in the middle of this multitude, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, very humorous scene. His disciples say, Jesus, you are surrounded by a multitude of people. The question is, who didn't touch you? Right? And Jesus says, no. Someone, someone touched me and something just happened. And Mark tells us that the woman is freaking out, right? Because she thought this was going to be covert. And so she comes forward, and Mark tells us she comes forward in fear and trembling. Now, why is she afraid? She's afraid for a few reasons. First, she's worried that she's offended the miracle worker in some way. Second of all, she's suffering from an embarrassing condition, and there are multitudes of people around. And thirdly, and this is important, she believes, being a part of the ancient Jewish world, she knows that touching with a flow of blood, touching someone else means that she has infected them with ritual impurity. This is important because look what happens. Jesus doesn't get infected with her impurity. In fact, he infects her with his purity. You see how God works through his son? His power actively goes out. Actively goes out. It doesn't stay in the four walls. It goes out into the world and touches the unclean and the sick and the sinful and the addicted and the broken and restores everything. There's um, a part of John's vision in Revelation where he sees Jesus sitting on his throne in the heavenly realm. And he says, behold, I am making all things new. 
friends, that's who God is. That's his mission in the world. Making everything new, everyone and everything that would reach their arm out and take his extended hand of mercy and receive his healing touch. That is God's mission in the world. And it's the mission that we are called to share in. And so Jesus, he says to this sheepish woman who's full of fear, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Enjoy your healing. Tender words, tender words. And she was afraid of approaching Jesus. Maybe you've experienced fear of approaching God. Maybe you have said to yourself, he could never forgive me for what I've done for that thing. He could never forgive me. Or maybe you said he's too pure and he's too perfect and holy and good to entertain my presence. Or my life is just too out of sorts right now to do this whole Jesus thing. Friends, if you come to Jesus, he says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. He'll receive you into his arms of mercy. And you will not infect him with your unrighteousness and your sin and your impurity and your brokenness. He will infect you with his purity and his wholeness and his love. St. Paul wrote this, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to the words in that exchange again. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself all of that stuff that makes you think that you can't approach him. He already took it on the cross and paid the penalty for it. It's wiped out. It's gone. He became sin for us. And then what he did was he imparted, a, in, imparted to us his own purity, his own righteousness. Think about the implications of this for a minute. Think about the implications of this. We, we are in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, Paul tells us we are united to him. We are united to him by faith in baptism. We stand before God with the innocence and the purity of Jesus. Okay? There's a theologian named Karl Barth. He said, by faith, we are what we are not. We are imparted the very righteousness and purity of Christ. You see, when you're in Christ, God looks at you when you approach him with the own affection he has for his son. That's what it means to be in Christ. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 16, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. You see, we don't need to put on the I've got it all together face for Jesus. In prayer, we approach Jesus with honesty about our situation, who we are and why we need him. C.S. Lewis wrote, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. You see, in these stories in the Gospels, remind us that Jesus invites us to approach him no matter what our story is. Friends, he invites you to approach him no matter what you've done, no matter what is in your past, no matter what your story is. He's making all things new. He wants to make you new. John Stott, a 20th century Anglican minister, wrote this, the very first step to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is the humble admission that we need him. 
Nothing keeps us out of the kingdom of God more surely than our pride and self-sufficiency. Friends, God is calling us to himself, but we have to lay aside our pride, our self-sufficiency, our self-deception about not needing him. We have to lay aside our I've got it all together faces. We do. And like Jairus and the woman from our gospel reading, we have to take a hold of Jesus with faith that he is where our healing begins. Last thing. Um, just yesterday, I believe the Lord wanted to challenge me to um, see if I actually practice what I preach and believe what I preach. And um, I was here all day yesterday, and there was a, a man sleeping in the courtyard. He was trying to get away from the shelter, and he obviously didn't have a home. He had a bicycle with him. And um, I went over and began to talk to him and said, you know, you can, you, can, you can rest here on the weekend if you need to get out of the rain when nobody's here. And began to talk to him, and he told me his name. And um, we started to talk, and he asked me a strange question about the Old Testament that I didn't know the answer to. And I just said what I always say to people when they ask difficult questions about the Bible that I don't know the answer to. Um, I said, you know, I always just come back to Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? I really believe that's the place to start. And I said, Tim, where are you with that? And he said, with what? And I said, where are you with Jesus? And he said this, he said, well, I've been behaving pretty badly. And so that's not really going so well right now. And I said, Tim, you got, you've got it all backwards You don't clean up yourself and clean up your life and clean up your act and get your behavior right and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus in all of that brokenness and all of that desperation and then he begins the healing process. And uh, I asked him if he wanted that and he said yes. And so I sat with him and we prayed together and he prayed and I prayed that he would receive the Holy Spirit back into his life to help him overcome the things that he had been struggling with us. You see, the opportunities that God gives to us are amazing. To actually share that healing power that goes out of Jesus in our story, he gives us that power to be able to share it with others, to lay hands on them and to pray healing for them, to ask, to pray that God would send his Holy Spirit, that they could receive him. That is the mission of God in this world. And you and I are invited to share in it. What a glorious purpose and mission the Lord has given to us. Let us pray. Jesus, we stand before you as a congregation, each one of us who's um, a recipient of your purity. And Lord, maybe for those who have been resisting it, I pray that you would open their hearts to receive the healing and the purity that you desire to impart to them so that they can stand before you as a beloved child and approach you, their heavenly father, with boldness. Father, thank you for the people who recorded these stories for us about your son so that we have access to see what miracles were worked in his life and what they mean for us today. We ask that you would continue to open opportunities for us as a church, for us as individuals in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, to be that vessel of your healing and saving power to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.